This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I'm fired up for today because we've got Romana King. She is the author of House Poor No More, Nine Steps That Grow the Value of Your Home and Net Worth. Really excited about this one. Yeah, it's a great show. It's a great show. And here's what I like about Romana. Ontario transplant, came yes. to Vancouver, just like anyone else who arrives, has major sticker shock, gets into the real estate market, has thought long and hard about how to leverage being in the real estate market here and making it work for her. And that's what we're talking about today. Right. And I should clarify no more. I said no mo. Like, yeah. like no, it's house po. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the thing. I was I was thinking more house mo problems. No. But generally speaking, it's house poor no more. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hard R. Yeah. yeah. There's P O O R and uh, the problem with growing up on nineties rap is uh I say mo all the time, like can I say mo? Oh show. Um and but I, I feel like this is just generally how we how we speak being from that era. This is gonna be a great show. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should also say this is the last time we're gonna see the studio in twenty twenty one. Yeah. We are officially this is our last episode. new episode yeah, of twenty twenty one. And what it comes out December sixteenth. I think that's fair. Yeah. I just saw a couple podcasts that we're saying see in February. We will be back with brand new content right after the new year. Yeah. And we have so many great guests lined up, but you know what? Specifically you, you need a break. 
Yeah, yeah. No more show for show. <laughs> I, I, I can't take any more shows, is what that translated to. I'm sorry. Uh, but the, <laughs> it's, it's been a year. It's been a year. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a very year. busy year. We've had a, a great year selling a lot of real estate. And I think we're, we're kind of going to hunker down for the last two weeks of the year. I think a lot of people are doing the same. And uh, we're still going to be, obviously, our, our office is still open. We still have some active files that we'll be working on, but we're trying to we're trying to push pause here a little recharge. bit. Recharge. It's time to recharge, and I would suggest the same because there's going to be a lot of talk about goals in 2022 yeah. coming up. And you know what? I'm feeling like I need at least a week or two to really take a break before I start thinking about goals. You know what? Here's the thing. I think the other thing that we're, we're kind of on to, and we've talked about this on the program a lot, but... January seems like it has the potential to be explosive. I feel like the market could really take off in January. And, you know, I think a lot of the pressure is the, the concern about rising interest rates, obviously. Um, there's still a lot of people, a lot of buyers out there. There has not been a lot of inventory. So if we get some inventory, it's hard to imagine that January is going to be a slow month in the market. Well, yeah. With the only caveat that it's hard to imagine. I'm taking a flight on Sunday. It's potentially not going to happen. Omicron, that's the only thing. So I'll have to wait and see. But if all things remain the same, we are set to boil, I would say. Yeah, set to boil. What else do we have before we cut to this conversation with Romana? Matt? What else do we have? We are sponsored this week by Oakland Realty. This is our brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, get some new energy, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That is oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. You'll get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang. You'll get a huge incentive for heading over to oakland.com slash join typing in VRP 2020. I feel like it's a win-win. It is a absolutely win-win a for, win-win. For whoever's, whoever's meeting with those guys and getting the incentive, I should say. Yeah, and uh, thanks everyone for uh, sharing the show. We've seen our numbers just continue to go up and uh, we're so appreciative if you are out there telling people about how much you like the show and, and referring your friends to listen to it. We, uh, we really appreciate it. Absolutely. So maybe without further ado, let's talk to Romana King, author of House Poor No More. Ardar. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Romana King, author and real estate expert, currently just recently published House Poor No More. And uh, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks, uh, Romana, so much for taking the time today. You know, we we just, before we hit record here, talked a little bit about your past, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes. So I have been covering personal finance and real estate for the better part of two decades. I hope that doesn't date me too much. I started my career as a journalist that covered trade, so I, I covered everything to do behind the scenes of what consumers do. So if you go to an advisor, I would write to the advisor and help them figure out best practices, covered the housing crash of uh, in America in 2009 and all of the intricacies of that, and then cut my teeth on speaking and helping consumers just trying to make the best personal finance decisions, particularly when it came to real estate. So Ramana, so... As we mentioned in, in uh, your introduction, you are a real estate expert and you do focus on on real estate. Why real estate? How'd you get your start in real estate? I'm, I'm what I call an educational immigrant. So my parents immigrated because they had the education, but no money. And so they came here with very little, you know, buck in the bank. 
And as immigrants, they wanted to set up a life so that they could give their kids a better life. We came from England. Uh, my father was trying to escape sort of what he considered classism there. Isms are now a big popular thing, but he definitely felt that being from sort of a working class background. And he felt like Canada sort of could give that. And he knew that sort of getting a foothold in the property market would be probably a smart idea. But he had to take three kicks at that can before it was able to stick. The first one he lost because he put down a down payment and went to take a look at the house and realized, you know, I think it's going to fall off a cliff. (laughs) He lost the down payment. Um, The second one he lost because he didn't get good advice. And he was told that the renter could stay. And then the fire marshal was called in and he was told he had to make thirty or forty thousand dollars worth of renovations to bring it up to code. And this is back in a time when thirty or forty thousand was like half the cost of a house. Right. And of course he couldn't do that. And then a third time he took it upon himself to really educate himself. So at a very young age I knew that, you know, personal finance decisions, whether it be, you know, where to put my money, what bank to invest and what that bank to put put my money, what assets to invest in also included the, the the bigger decision of where do I live and how do I make that work for me, whether it's a rental unit or, or purchase a home. When I first started, and this really does date me, when I first started, a lot of people didn't consider your home a financial decision. They just considered that, you know, something that you did and then personal finance is everything else. It was all the investments that had nothing to do with real estate unless you're a real estate investor. And I just, I never agreed with that philosophy and I still don't. I think it is a big decision. It's not only financially motivated, but it is a big decision that has a big financial implication. You know, Romana, that was actually, that's a perfect segue because that was what I wanted to ask you. Can you kind of unpack that a bit? Like, can we talk a little bit more about the connection between, as you see it, between personal finance and and real estate? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, when they hear that, it, it becomes a very sort of binary decision. So buying a home is either a smart financial decision or not a smart financial decision. And I think that's just too simplistic. I don't think we buy homes. And you guys are in real estate. You know this. I don't think anyone has ever come to you and said, you know, I just got my first job or we're just about to have a baby. We'd like to make the smart financial decision and purchase a home. That's never the conversation, right? The conversation is, yeah, we want to get into the market. We want to sit down. We're about to have a baby. Or we just got married. Or we just got engaged. Like it's all these fun, like like personal decisions that happen in your life, lifestyle decisions that prompt you to get into the property market because there's an emotional tie or there's an emotional reason where we make that next step while we buy that home. We buy that home because we do have children or because we want to set down roots or because we got our first, you know, real job. And and we want to sort of solidify where we live. We want to make more decisions and, and have more ownership. And I think that as much as that is a financial decision, it's actually motivated for emotional reasons. And I think that Unfortunately, because we've sort of simplified the decision of buy home, not buy home, good decision, bad decision, we've kind of unpacked that as it's a good reason to buy home for an emotional reason or a bad reason. I don't think it's that simple. I think it's a smart reason if you do it in a smart way. So in, in thinking about that and kind of uh, unpacking that, why, why did you write this book? Because I wanted people to stop trying to justify or beat themselves up for buying a home and let them just have that reason. Like you want to buy a home because it feels more secure for you. It feels better for your family. It feels more, it feels safer. You feel like you're more rooted. Good enough. Like that's a good enough reason in my mind. Now, once you allow yourself to have that good enough reason, then it becomes, you know, that's the challenge of how do you have a smart, a smarter, how do you make it a smarter decision? So if I'm going to buy these homes, this home so I can 
feel safe, feel like I can, you know, be part of a community. How do I do it smartly so that I'm not going to put myself in a position where I am house poor, where I have, you know, I have all this money wrapped up in my house, but I can't take a vacation or even go out for a meal or even take takeout because I'm exhausted and I don't want to cook for the kids tonight. That's a terrible place to be. And I don't think that anyone needs to be there if they're given the tools to make a decision where they're allowed to take an emotional decision buy a home for safety or, or for life decisions, and then given the tools to make smart financial decisions. So maybe can we talk a little bit about the tools for folks looking to get into the housing market? And of course, you know, we're all in the lower mainland here in one of the, the most expensive housing markets in, in the country. Can we talk about how folks looking to get into the market right now can, can do so in a way in which, you know, they're not going to be house poor? Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a kind of throwaway line that I have in the book that I, I poached from someone else, which is that you can have anything, you can't have everything. So if you want to be a homeowner in an expensive market, I'm one of those people. I moved here five years ago. It was expensive. At the time, we thought we bought at the peak. <laughs> we realized that wasn't the case. But at the time, we did. So we had to make decisions. So the decisions were, okay, we could extend our budget and buy more house, but then we'd be really pinched. Or we could reduce our budget and maybe not buy our dream home, but buy a good enough home and make smarter financial decisions. And that's what I mean by you can have anything, you can't have everything. So it's okay to want to buy a home or to buy a home in an expensive market, as long as you're realistic. And and this is where I, I think that dismissing the emotional component actually leads to poor decision making. At that point, if you dismiss it, you want to buy a home in an expensive market as being a foolish endeavor because it's so expensive, then people make these justification decisions. So they want to buy a home and then they run out there and look for all these justifications or reasons why it's a smart decision. Oh, it's a smart decision because real estate always goes up. Yes. But if you buy a home and it's at the peak of your budget and you can't make extra payments to knock that mortgage down, and in five years you go and you, you renew your mortgage and mortgage rates have jumped one, two, or, or even 5% at that point, you're going to put yourself in a position where you're going to constantly be running to pay debts. And that's a, that's a tough thing. So I, I think that the, the biggest takeaway or the biggest tool someone can use is you have to be really realistic about your budget and you have to be really realistic about how you can make that a, a smarter decision. So in a, in a high price market like this, I would say, okay, if you're looking at a million plus selling uh, single family home in the lower mainland, do you have a mortgage helper? Do you have a strategy to make extra payments on your mortgage? Because if you don't, you're buying at too high of your budget and you need to sort of re-examine the property type or the location. So you can buy a home that allows you to make those extra, you know, extra payments on a mortgage, extra payments from a, a rental income so that you can get into a position where you're not going to be consistently chasing the debt. Okay. Interesting. So, so I, I like this idea of, you know what, giving yourself permission to buy a home for emotional reasons, but not approaching the purchase or getting swept up in kind of in an emotional decision-making process, right? Like the forever home type thing where, you know, when that wears off, you're, you're staring, you're staring at an enormous mortgage that you can't afford. It's tough. I mean, it's tough because everyone wants that, that fantastic home, right? Everyone wants that big luxury Four bedroom, double car garage. We're talking luxury in, in the lower mainland, if you get that, you know, under under the two million range. So everyone wants that. But the reality is not everyone needs it. So, you know, my husband and I, we're, we're what we call gear hoarders. We have lots of gear. We have lots of hobbies with gear. 
So a garage would have been fantastic. But you know what? It wasn't in the price range where I was comfortable. So we don't have a garage, but we have lots of storage. Because we don't need a garage. We just need storage. And we need to consider, you know, is it is it worth it to get an extra $100,000 on the, on the home for that garage, which is an unheated space for the most part that just stores stuff? Or can I find alternative ways that are more cost-effective and then use that 100000 So th- there's these decisions that have to be made. And, and I know that some... Some real estate professionals are really good at having these conversations with clients about being realistic. Some are not as comfortable with those those conversations. But the reality is, is that we as, as consumers need to be more comfortable with having a conversation with ourselves and with our spouses and with our families about what's a smart decision and what's not. It's perfectly acceptable to buy a four-bedroom home if you know you're going to use four bedrooms. But if for the next five, seven years, two of those three or three of those bedrooms are going to be unused space, you're paying for more home and putting yourself in a, in a worse financial position. So you have to be realistic, right? How often, Romana, do you, do you hear the the counter to that argument? The idea that a lot of people might feel that if they have to move through the market, they're going to absorb a lot of costs. You know, if you think about property transfer tax, realtor fees, and the fact that by by taking, say, a smaller swing at the market, you might find yourself in a situation where you have to buy in two to three years to to you know, basically move through the market and allow for more space for your family? Well, I think fantastic question. And I think it has to do with, with timeframes. And that's actually why I start the book talking about goals. You know, you look at, you know, we think that buying the house is the goal and it's actually a milestone, not a goal. A goal is financial independence, not having to worry and being able to live without, you know, fretting whether or not you can, you know, pay for the house over your head, pay for food on the table, and maybe a few extra, you know, benefits, a trip here and there, gifts for the grandchildren, whatever. So the goal is financial independence. One of the milestones along the way is a home. That milestone needs to satisfy a few things. It has to satisfy, you know, house over your head, community that you live in, a safe area, but it also has to satisfy the financial component. Can you can you live and still achieve other financial goals? And if you're looking in the next two to three years having to move, then you haven't actually bought the home that you should be buying. You should be buying a bigger home. I say that with the caveat being is if you're buying your forever home, be prepared to let it go. You know, my husband and I bought our forever home in Toronto. We still get calls from realtors that knew us then asking us about the home. I mean, it was a fantastic home. We bought it. We renovated it. It was phenomenal. It was it was fantastic. And then a couple of years in, we realized, you know what? We actually want to live on the West Coast. And so we we sold this fantastic forever home. Because it's just bricks and mortar, and we moved to a place in the country that we wanted to be, to what I would call a crap shack. Like it was, it was a home that needed a lot of work. You know, it's smaller, it's half the size of the land, half the size of the house, same price as when we sold our, our Toronto home, and we're we're happier. Why? Because it's just bricks and mortar. Your home is going to be a place that you set down roots and have build memories. It's it's still just a structure. So you should buy a structure that's going to work for your family now and then and probably for the next five or seven years. But past that, I think you're buying too much home. And, and I'll give those two examples. My example of, you know, we bought this forever home. It was fantastic. But one of our one room in our home there with 700 square feet, we called it the grand room. And the owners before us used to push the great baby grand piano and all the furniture inside, and they'd have dances in that room. I mean, that's the kind of house that we had. We had a fantastic house. Another example I'll use is a, a couple here that during the pandemic, things got too strained and they ended up getting divorced. And now they're stuck with a $1.3 million mortgage, not house, mortgage, with one person paying that mortgage and there's no extra income. They have no extra income to, to create an income source in the house and, and they are looking to have to sell. So all of our best laid plans can go up in smoke if we plan too far ahead. 
I think you need to break it up into components and decide whether or not the home you're living in works for the component that you're in with the idea of, well, how do I manage that if five or seven years from now, it's not ideal? So when we bought the home, when my husband and I bought this home, we have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, and a 25-year plan on this home, all of which work for us. Yeah, I think COVID is is the example, uh, <laughs> the best laid plans, right? That's for sure. Never work out yeah. exactly the way the way you think. You know, thinking about this is all great advice in terms of okay, planning and taking the emotion out of of a purchase. I'm curious to kind of hear your thoughts on so so now thinking about you own a home. What is the role of your house in in personal finance? How can you use your home towards financial freedom? I mean, this is what I think I, I, I also struggle with. So I struggle with the idea that we, we name and we shame and we blame people for buying a home for emotional reasons. A lot of people during the pandemic did that. I think they're, the reason why housing became such a frenzy is because people wanted a sense of security and, and home provides that. And I don't think we should shame that. I also think that we need to you know, update our, our idea about, about debt, about the idea of debt. You know, when, my, when my father bought you know, interest rates, mortgage rates were in double digits. I remember him sitting down, pen and paper with a calculator and working out with the mortgage tables. I don't know if you guys remember these, the mortgage tables and working out 18% mortgage rate, 18%. <laughs> At that point, you did everything in the world to minimize that debt. I mean, you just, you tried to knock down that debt no matter what, because it was a massive, it was, it was a high interest debt. Well, we're talking about historical, historically low interest rates right now. Mortgage rates are historically low. I think we need to revamp how we consider debt and, and how we can use debt and the equity in our home to build wealth accumulation. And so rather than just simply, and it really does depend on your, your risk tolerance, your tolerance for, for debt and taking on leverage. And, and I encourage people to have those conversations, but not simply to just have the conversation of, yeah, we just need to pay off the mortgage and then we sit tight. Because you know, and I make it very clear, you know, cash in the bank is waste. You're going to lose money if you've got cash in the bank. And if you've got equity sitting in your home and you have no plan for it, it's waste. It's literally stuffing money under a mattress and watching it erode year after year because of inflation. And it's an, it's an unwise way of looking at your home as an asset. Your home does provide that safety zone of building a family and a, and a, and a community, but it's also an investment. And once we look at it as a building, as a tool, as a building block in our investment tool portfolio and how we can best use that tool, then we can start making some strategic decisions about how to use that. And, and one of the ways that I encourage people to use you know, their home is to consider how do you, I make this non-deduct tax-deductible debt into a tax-deductible debt? And there's lots of uh, material out there. It's called the Smith Maneuver, and there's, there's other debt swap strategies. And, but how do I actually use my home as a tool to build wealth as, rather than just as an asset on the book? Can we talk about kind of tapping into that debt equity, like how, what yeah. are some of the strategies that, um, that you go over in your book? I talk a little bit about, I mean, the one that most people are aware of, just in terms of familiarity or just hearing it as a Smith maneuver. And it was, it was, you know, developed by Fraser Smith, a, a BC financial planner that realized that, you know, we have some advantages in Canada when it comes to home ownership. You know, the biggest advantage of home ownership is that our primary residence, our principal residence, when we sell it, all profit earned on that is, is tax-free. That's a, a fantastic. But over the course of the lifetime of, of owning that home, the debt we pay or the interest we pay on that debt isn't tax-free. And so he developed or, or devised a method of, of swapping it out, essentially, taking that non-deductible debt and swapping it out for deductible debt. And so the simplest way of doing that is if I have 
$200,000 of a mortgage left on my home and I have a $200,000 stock portfolio, cash in the stock portfolio, pay off my mortgage 100%. Now take out a loan. It could be a mortgage. Take out a, a loan against my home and use that entire loan to buy the stock portfolio back. All I've done, I've, 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 my asset and liabilities have not changed at all. I, I'm not further ahead in either way, except now any interest that I pay on that loan is now tax deductible. And so if I'm going to pay $1,000 per month interest on that loan, I can now use that as a tax deduction at the end of the year. And that makes it a more efficient way of using my, my earned dollars. So for every dollar I invest, it's more efficient now because I'm now I have a tax rebate at the end of the year. So you're making your dollar, you're stretching your dollar and making it go further. And so I talked a little bit about some of the strategies to use. Some of them are more complex, some of them require more legal professionals. You need to get a lawyer involved or you need to have trustworthy friends or family. But there there are different strategies that people can use to actually take advantage of legal ways to use your mortgage from a becoming a, a non-deductible debt to, to becoming a tax deductible debt. You know, Romana, you mentioned early on about kind of doubling up on mortgage payments and things like that. Is is in your mind the strategy to to be aggressively paying off your mortgage and then essentially using a HELOC as the way to keep that money working for you? Or are you thinking, you know, pay the minimum and are there other ways that you'd think about it? Let's put it that way. Yeah. I mean, this really comes to, I don't have a personal preference. If you were to ask me what I do, that that's different because that is my personal preference, but I don't have a personal preference when it comes to advising as people. My, my strong caveat is just, you need to look at your risk tolerance and you need to look at your your ability to switch. So some people are really great at saving money. And I think if you're really great at saving money, there are certain strategies that work for you. So my husband is not, he's great at cash in hand saving money. So if he's got cash in hand, he knows that he can't actually take that thousand dollars and put it into his RSP. He can't do that. So for that reason, we have different a strategy in our household of how we do it. We aggressively pay down our mortgage, and then we take a HELOC, and we use that money to invest in a stock portfolio, because that's what works for our family. I think everyone has to look at what works for them. And, and I think that if you're going to look at it, you're going to look at, at some key principles. So the key principle that I look at is, what are the interest rates now? And what do I anticipate them to be in five years? And how is that going to impact my bottom line for paying the mortgage? I also look at the principle of like how much will that interest rate movement affect what I pay. So if I'm paying $1,000 on my mortgage now and interest rates go up and I have to pay $2,000 on my mortgage, can I absorb that? And more importantly, do I have enough confidence in my investing skills that I'll be able to switch quickly to be able to pay down that debt? I personally think that if you can, you know, aggressively attack your mortgage at the start of the mortgage and then wean off and, and start investing more, I think that's the best strategy, partly because you pay far more interest at the start of your mortgage than you do towards the end. And so I want to maximize how many, how, like where my dollars are going to go. And I want to pay down that mortgage as, as quickly as I can to get as much equity in the home as I can that I can reborrow and then invest again. Makes sense. Absolutely. So Romana, in thinking about maybe some of the risks that people have in using, say, the Smith Maneuver, or in thinking about just the pushback that this strategy has received when, when you put it forward, can you highlight, are there are there risks that people should be considering? Oh, 100%. And I think that, you know, anyone that says, oh, it's, you know, there's no risk to it, that, there's risk to everything, right? <laughs> right. There's risk to stuffing money under the mattress, right? The erosion of, of 
inflation on the, on, you know, the, the spending power you have sure. on that dollar. So absolutely there's a risk. You know, whenever you're taking on leverage, you're, you're taking on, you could maximize your gains on that. So if you're putting 10000 into a $100,000 asset and it appreciates, well, you're maximizing your earnings because you've only used 10000 of your own, own funds, right? But on the flip side, you're going to magnify your losses as well. So if that asset does decrease in value, you're certainly going to take extra losses. Not only will you lose maybe the money that you've invested, but you'll also owe money at that point. So there's always gains and, and, and rewards, and you have to be comfortable with your risk tolerance. You know, if, you, if you're going to invest and you're going to use borrowed money, so I'm going to take a HELOC against the equity in my home and use that and borrow and, and invest in the stock market, you may want to reconsider whether or not you want to invest in that really, you know, uh, the unknown stocks, the, you know, Bitcoin at one point in time, <laughs> GameStop. I'm going to use that. Sorry, that was a, <laughs> a favorite of mine for a while. You know, when everyone is crazy about GameStop, it's like, no, these are not tried and tested. You, you want to use t- tried and tested. You want to have a well-diversified portfolio. You want to, you know, minimize the amount of risk you have. You also need to be able to stomach the ups and downs. If you're someone who's going to be looking every day and, and petrified because, you know, your, your ETF basket dropped 10% today, but went up 20% next week, then probably not the right strategy for you. You have to have, you know, enough stomach that you can say, I can weather the ups and downs. I can drop 10% in my portfolio and gain 12% in my portfolio within a year and not deviate from my plan. So this is a lot of the reason why I, I in the book, I talk a little bit about, I talk a lot about really examining your strategy and your goals because all of these strategies work as long as they work based on your tolerance and your goal. So if your goal is, I want to be 100% and there's lots of people I know that are fire, you know, financially independent, retire early. So at age 35, 40, they're completely independent. That was their goal. And so they did everything for They were 12 hour days. They, they didn't do anything but work. They never took a vacation. That was their goal. And that was their decision. That wouldn't work for my husband and I. We want to take that trip down a Joshua tree and go climbing. We don't want to you know, skip that vacation with our kids. And so each person has their, what keeps them going and what keeps them up at night. And based on that, you can make smart strategic decisions. Essentially, the book just challenges people to stop going by status quo and actually think about what you want to do and think about how you're going to use your house as a tool for wealth accumulation and how you're going to use your debt on that house as a tool for wealth accumulation. And that's really what I'm trying to do with that book is I'm just trying to get people to stop and challenge the status quo. They don't have to think about whether it's smart or not based on what other people are saying. Is it smart or not based on your goals and your decisions and what is is right for you in terms of risk tolerance? And if it is, just stay the course. Do you have a preference over it? So once you access the money, you know, a lot of people will invest in more real estate or a lot of people will put money into the stock market. Do you have a preference or are you looking for more of a diversified portfolio or what are your thoughts on, on where to put the money? Oh, uh, the standard answer for that is diversification. And that's actually what my husband and I opted for. Lots and lots of discussions on this. We, we could have, you know, invested and flipped and decided for a number of reasons. And it wasn't simply financial reasons. We decided not to do that. We had young children and we decided we just didn't want to spend the time because it takes a lot of time and energy doing that. So there's a lot of different factors that go into that decision. If it's purely a financial, if you're looking purely for a financial, the caveat is always, you know, diversification. If you're, if you've got a a home in, in, in Vancouver and then you invest in another rental property in Vancouver, it, that's not very well diversified. So I would strongly encourage you to consider 
how can you diversify? And so we chose to diversify by actually investing in stocks and equities. That's what we chose to do. And we chose to invest in stocks and equities. Some of it was ETFs, but we actually chose not to invest in ETFs that were heavily uh, real estate focused. Why? Well, we have rental properties. We have a home. We wanted to diversify. That doesn't mean that we aren't. We wouldn't personally look at looking look at rental properties in the future. We are looking at rental properties. Why? Because sometimes it does make sense to get back in the market. So I strongly, strongly advise people if you're going to take on leverage and you're going to take on risk and you're going to look at the the whole list, the whole portfolio. Your house is part of that portfolio. Look at whether or not you've got a basket of stocks that separate move separate from real estate because you want to move separate from real estate. And hey. How do we know that? Well, look, look at 2009 when the markets crashed and, and there was a capital crunch worldwide. Let's look at you know 2020 when there was a pandemic, and we can look at how the markets moved differently for stocks, tech stocks, and and housing stocks, and you know REITs, and each one moved differently. You want to have exposure so that it allows you to weather the storms and also capitalize on the gains. You know, just thinking about that, so there's sort of two components, right? One is kind of looking at your own personal situation, not only risk tolerance and things like that, but but also where you might be overexposed and trying to diversify based on your, your personal situation. Just wondering, what's your approach, Romano, when it comes to kind of the, the current environment we're in? And, and by that, I mean, you know, we're, it's forever changing, of course, and you just mentioned, you know, that kind of boom in in tech or growth stocks over COVID. But right now we're kind of in an uncertain moment where inflation seems to be ramping up, but interest rates also seem to be ramping up. Like, does your do you deviate from your plan based on moments in the market? Or are you kind of tried and true? We have a plan based on what we're doing and you know, we'll just we'll weather the storm essentially. So I think whether it's myself or, or anyone else, the first thing I would say is you have to get a plan on paper and the plan has to have a core component and an explore component. Your core component, I really strongly suggest it's, it's as diversified as it possibly can be. And it's the bulk of your money. It's the stuff that you cannot risk losing. You need that for retirement. You need that. Once you've got that sort of set and rolling, then you can look at your explore. And your explore can be, hey, I see interest rates going up and I see inflation going up and, and I see the writing on the wall. What's going to happen is people are going to be priced out of the market, which means we're going to have more people looking at rentals. And I think that it's a good idea right now to start looking at rental properties. I want to invest as a landlord. And maybe the rental properties aren't in Vancouver because it's still a high price market, but I have access based on the wonderful World Wide Web and lovely you know, professionals across Canada that I can talk to on the phone, I have access to the rest of Canada. So maybe I'm interested in Calgary. And so I look at rental properties in Calgary because I want to purchase an investment that's going to be tied to inflation. So I know that over time, for the most part, and I'm going to say for the most part, I know that you know rental rates are tied to inflation. If, if inflation goes up, rental rates can you know, theoretically go up as well. I can look for that rental increase. And I want that. I want that. I want that exposure. I want to hedge against inflation. So I do look for market opportunities, which is why I said, you know, my husband and I are looking at the moment. We do look for market opportunities, but only in our, in our explore component. We still have a core component. That core component doesn't waver. I don't sell because suddenly the market's going to do something crazy. I stick to it. We look at it just to examine to make sure that everything's going all right, and then we just allow it to keep on going. And and for the most part, I, I'm a, a passive investor on that. My explore is the active investment side. I'm looking for market opportunity. I'm looking for ways that I can get in, either because I have knowledge, I'm in real estate, or but I, because I have a good feeling, or you know I think it's going to be the next hot thing. You know, when cannabis 
stock came out of the market, a lot of people jumped in. GameStop was another, although I did not advocate and would never advocate for GameStop. But anyway, you know, I do think that there are opportunities. But I think that with anything like investing, you really do need to be, if caveat is, you know, buyer beware, you need to educate yourself. So real estate is, is one of those, you know, investment classes that I think is accessible to everyone because there's enough information out there that anyone can actually become educated and, you know, make a go of it as a, you know, for your small based business. You're starting a business if you're a landlord. You have to have, you have to understand the laws. You have to understand what's required of you. You have to understand how to file for taxes. It's a business. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're willing to put in that effort, I think you can make a go of it in any market, whether it's a hot price market or not. You know, one question that we don't really talk all that much about on this podcast, but I'm just wondering your take here, the rent versus buy. You know, somebody out there is potentially thinking, you know, in a, in a place like Vancouver, it makes a lot of sense to rent. What is your considering, I guess, uh, our conversation <laughs> thus far? What what would you say to folks out there that are kind of thinking rent versus buy, wavering, going back and forth? So this is a tough a tough question because I don't, I, I think that people want an easy answer that applies everywhere. They want that universal response. And I think it really does depend. And I'll give you the universal answer, which is, and I, in the last chapter of my book, I, I flat out say this, paying rent is not throwing money away. I think it's foolish when people buy a home because they don't want to pay rent. Listen, I started my life as a renter. And part of, part of being a renter is what shaped me to be a better homeowner and a, and a landlord. Okay. I understand acutely what it feels like to be a renter and have a terrible landlord, <laughs> which is why I hope my, my tenants would say I'm not a terrible. Now, I don't think they are. I, I think they would think, think that we are good landlords. We, we're responsive and we're considerate and, you know, but that, that helped shape me. And I also don't think that when I paid rent, I was throwing money away. I wasn't established. I wasn't ready to set down roots. It was smart to rent at that point, point in time. And I think it is still smart to rent as long as it makes sense. Now, here's this is where I start to deviate from, uh, it's, you know, it's crazy to buy a home in Vancouver. It's so expensive. You should rent. Oh, yeah? You find me a rental that's actually cheaper than, than paying a mortgage. Because I know my friends who are renting can't. I pay less in mortgage than I do in renting. And so that's the dilemma that we have, in, in particularly in the higher price markets right now, is that you know, it is extraordinarily hard to find a rental, a two-bedroom plus, that's less than $2,500. That's mortgage. So if you can scrape together enough to put a down payment on a home, it makes sense to buy a home. And and that's the tough thing because I don't think it should. I think there should be more choice to have smart rentals in higher priced cities to allow people to ease into the property market. But we just we're I mean, this is not, you know, small based business landlords problems. This is this is, you know, decades old poor planning from city officials and, and you know, provinces. And we haven't we haven't kept up to what is required to help us with, you know, growing a city to have, you know, the proper rental. So does it make sense to rent? Yes. If you're not established, if you're if you're in your first first career right out of university, if you think that you might be moving if you are not yet settled on what neighborhood you want to buy in and stay in for the next five to seven years, then I think renting makes a lot of sense. And if you can, be aggressive. Try and find a rental unit that'll be less than mortgage and sock away that money for a down payment or for investment. And I think that's the best way to use rental. But the reality is most of us cannot find a rental unit that can meet those requirements. And so I think it makes a lot more sense to buy. And I think that's why you do have a rush in people trying to get in the market, particularly when, you know, you know, mortgage rates are so low. 
Fantastic. Well, well, maybe we'll leave it there, Romana. But we do have a segment called the Five Wire. Five quick questions about yourself and uh, the city <laughs> we all live in. Um, if you have time for that. Yes, of course. Okay. So, question number one, Romana: What is your favorite bar or restaurant in Vancouver? Favorite bar or restaurant? Oh, I can't remember the name. It's an Indian fusion restaurant in North Vancouver on Lonsdale. Oh, that's terrible! I can't oh, remember I the name. Oh, I know that one. <laughs> Yeah. Do you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, that's uh what is the name? Is it actually called Indian Fusion? It might actually be called Indian Fusion, actually. <laughs> it's on North Lawnsdale, right near um London Drug. Yeah. That yeah. sounds almost yes. as clever as our title for the podcast, yeah, the I'm, Vancouver Real Estate <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> yeah, I love that restaurant for a few reasons. One is we met a lovely couple there. One was uh, from Japan and they told us our favorite sushi restaurant. And the other is that it's a family-based business and your family totally gets involved and, and the fish curry there is unbelievably good. So Good to hear. <laughs> Fantastic. Favorite band or song? Oh, um, favorite band or song. Too many to list. I do write and I don't think this is common, but I write to Tool, A Perfect Circle. I find it puts me in the perfect headspace to write. Interesting. Um, but I, I'm also a huge fan, and we we're just getting back into the symphony. We have a huge eclectic mix. And right now, Burning Man by Dirk Bentley is one of my all-time favorite songs. So he's a huge range for you there. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> what is uh, one book that you'd recommend for our listeners? Apart from House Poor No More. <laughs> um. Okay, bias just because he wrote my forward, but I also adore him, and I think it's a great read. It's Moolala by Bruce Sellery. Another one would be uh, Burnt. I think it's called Burned. Uh, Burnt Out or Burned. And it's the author is ooh, I'm terrible with authors. Another one would be Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And I think the reason why I love that, and I missed the entire first segment of it, which is there's some tiger involved, and I can't even remember what was that was all about. But it, she talked about the power and the magic of ideas and how as writers, we do not own ideas. They are merely visitors and we either give them, you know, life or they move on to someone who is. And I love that idea, that notion that nobody owns an idea, that we're all just in a, a constant dialogue with one another, sharing ideas. Yeah, fantastic. One piece of advice you would give your 18-year-old self? Don't cash in your RSPs. <laughs> 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 and, and last but not least, what is something that you've bought for under $1,500 that has had a positive impact on your life? Recently. 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 Uh, what have I bought recently? I'm just trying to think. What have I bought recently? Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm literally looking around my room trying to figure out. I was thinking you'd have some be. sort of gear thing, but don't don't let me well, put ideas in your in your mind. Can I, can I say one that we haven't? technically bought but i know it's coming yeah <laughs> actually yeah uh, my husband is dying for a floorless tent so this is a, a tp tent you put up and you can actually put a stove in it and you can you can hive it off so you can you can put it into a portion where it has a floor and you can put you know cots or sleeping bags into it and then the other portion of it you can walk in with your wet gear and there's a, uh, an actual stove in the tent where you can dry dry off so he does a lot of backwoods uh, hunting and, and camping, and I do a lot of backwoods camping. And so it's something I know is coming because we're about to go down to the States and we're going to go get it. And I think that's going to have a huge impact on us because we love getting out in the middle of nowhere where there's absolutely zero reception for any electronic device. Right. And just sitting under a fire or sitting under the stars and just enjoying ourselves with our kids. So I think that's going to have a major positive impact on our lives. 
Oh, that's a great one. Awesome. Well, we'll have to look out for that. But Moromana, how can people find out more about House Poor No More and where can they buy the book? Uh, the book is available on Amazon.ca. Uh, you can find out more on Zolo.ca, House Poor No More, or on RomanaKing.com. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Romana. That was a great conversation, and I think our listeners are better for it. Thanks so much, Matt and Adam. It was really a pleasure to speak to you. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Romana King, author of House Poor, No More. And there is a subtitle, Matt, Nine Steps That Grow the Value of Your Home and Net Worth. That was great. I, I really enjoyed Romana taking the time to go through everything with us related to home ownership and how to leverage your house as, uh, as an asset. And uh, yeah, lots of great takeaways for lots, sure. Lots of great ideas. And she just is clearly thinking uh, very intelligently about these things, sure. which I love just hearing, uh, you know, the more the merrier in that conversation. That's for sure. What else do we have for the day, Adam, before we cut for 2021? Yes. I guess we have our website. Yeah, we do, Matt. Because I think other than that, you're almost out the door here. VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live, including the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Great show. Great, great show. While you're over on the site checking all that out, you'll want to subscribe to the Livewire. This is our weekly mailer where you get stats before anyone else, deal of the month, VIP access to residential pre-sale projects, commercial pre-sale projects, units that randomly come up. There's so many exciting things. There's no reason why you don't want to be on the live wire list. We also have tried and true private client services. And Matt, if you're not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free at your fingertips. It's all available at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. It's the best way to look for real estate in Vancouver. We, we have several search accounts set up for ourselves, for our clients. And really, if you're not using PCS for Vancouver real estate, you're doing it wrong. And uh, one last thing before we cut here, we do definitely want to want to just express a little bit of gratitude for the VREP community, which uh, I feel like it's just every year it gets to be a stronger community. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing the show throughout the years. Thank you to everybody on Instagram for tagging us in their people posts. People reviewing the show. Uh, people reviewing the show. All of our guests over this year. It's a very exciting industry to be involved in, and it's a, a really exciting market to monitor. And uh, it's a very just, exciting time for the podcast. Yeah. And, and uh, I feel grateful to be involved in such a strong community like VREP. So uh, happy holidays, everybody. Matt, how can people get in touch with you? They can get in touch with me at any time, 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line. Info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Don't forget about the Kokomo. That's uh, that's the goals coming in January. But uh, take some time, relax, and uh, yeah, we'll see you back in uh, January 2022. Absolutely. Happy holidays. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.
Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 